I'm Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Monday Mindset Mindset Podcast, Podcast. where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 111. And today it is Terry's turn to share something with us. And I'm rather excited. It's been ages since I haven't had to do any preparation for an episode at all whatsoever, and also have no idea what you're going to be sharing with us, so I'm rather excited. So Terry, what have you got for us today? Well, Daisy, um, I remember feeling that way last time we recorded because it was the first time in a while that I hadn't prepared and I reveled in it. So (laughs) congrats to you today. (laughs) So I chose an episode from a podcast that I don't think either of us have shared from before, but You and I have often shared episodes from Impact Theory with Tom Bilyeu, Mm. and this is a podcast with his wife, his wife's podcast, Women of Impact, and her name is Lisa. Yes, you've mentioned it, but no, I don't think you've ever shared from it, but you have mentioned her and her podcast before. Yes, interesting. Well, you might enjoy her. She is from the UK. She's a little spitfire. Oh, yes, I remember that now (laughs) as well. Yes, yes. But... The podcast is called Women of Impact, and the guest is a psychologist named Terry Cole. So I had Mm. an easy time remembering this person's name. (laughs) Her book, she released a book called Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. And the episode title is Psychotherapist on Setting Boundaries, Ending Manipulation, and Being Pushed Around. (laughs) So I thought this would be a great topic for many of us. Yes, sounds very helpful. So in talking about boundaries, which is a big topic that a lot of people struggle with and a lot of people have now been writing more and more about, she talked about the idea that most of us have gathered corrupted boundary data because we aren't actually taught boundaries explicitly but we observe them. We watch how other Mm. people treated people, you know, teachers, parents, other people. And therefore we have gathered this corrupted data. We learn about boundaries that aren't necessarily good examples of boundary setting. Much of their conversation focused on women, but not the whole thing, but there were many references to women in particular Because women are often raised and praised to give, overgive, and to become self-abandoning codependents. Hmm. And I thought this was a really interesting concept. So in self-abandoning codependence, basically, you choose what is better for someone else and abandon yourself. So being codependent is really trying to be the bridger, the peacemaker, the making sure someone else is okay. But in reality, one of the negatives of codependency is that it is either a covert or overt need for control. It serves that purpose. And listening to her describe this was enlightening for me because I'm always wondering, well, How does it help the codependent person who maybe is stuck in that pattern? Yes. So to be clear, the need for control is the person who is in the sort of put upon role. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. 
So she was a therapist and she found that oftentimes when she would have kind of these really strong women come in and she would start talking with them about codependency, they would say, what are you talking about? I'm not codependent. I'm running the show. I'm, I'm the boss. And she realized that she needed a different way to describe it. And so she started using the term with them, high functioning codependent, because they were very high functioning. They were owners of businesses, they were leaders, but they were doing it all at the expense of themselves. Hmm. They were making sure everyone else was okay while sacrificing themselves too much. So a high functioning codependent basically is when you are overly invested in the feeling state, well-being, or the outcomes, or situations of others that you care about. And the author, Terry Cole, goes through some examples of her sister. When they were younger, her sister was an addict and was in a really abusive, unhealthy relationship. And she would come to Terry and Terry would fix it for her. Well, this is what you're going to do. And it wasn't until a therapist pointed out to her that she was being codependent, which of course she didn't think that she was being. But the therapist asked her this question and this really changed how she was thinking about it. What makes you know what lessons your sister is meant to learn in this lifetime? Interesting. So, you know, Terry was like, but I've got to fix this for her because she's going to do this instead, or she's going down this path. And the therapist said, but this is her life to learn her lessons. And how are you? It's kind of that challenge of who do you think you are that you know better in life, what lessons she's supposed to be learning Yes, it reflects back to that walking alongside. Absolutely. Theory, doesn't it? From Brene Brown. And what it really comes down to is what you're doing is fixing her life to maintain your own inner peace. So Terry would had gotten things straightened out in her life and her sister's life was very chaotic. And when she would hear this, that's upsetting to her. So part of her desire to fix it was so that she could maintain that inner peace. And it really took being challenged in this way to recognize the codependency in what she was doing. So she talks about from the book, uh, kind of a five-step approach. Did not go into a lot of detail about these, but it sounds like an interesting book. She talks about the importance of self-awareness, then self-knowledge, self-acceptance, self-compassion, and lastly, self-mastery. So if you're going to improve your boundary setting, you're going to need these things. You're going to need to be more self-aware, have knowledge of what purpose it's serving for you, accept yourself, have compassion, and develop mastery. And she talked about one of the things that's really important to do in this is to become the observer without judgment in both figuring out our behaviors and listening and helping others. I think Lisa at this point was asking, but what do you do when someone like that comes to you and, you know, maybe it's a friend or a, a sibling and they've got this chaotic, nasty situation going on. How do you not just tell them what to do to fix it? And she said, one example is to work on helping them find their solution. Mm. So to be able just to reflect, um, what does your gut tell you? What are some of the ideas you've come up with? rather than just give them your fix. And again, she talked about they often leave those situations feeling pretty good because you kind of ease their emotional tension. 
but you walk away with the emotional tension now. And this is why boundaries are so important because you give so much of yourself, takes all of this energy out of you. There's a responsibility, I guess, if you've, mm-hmm. it's almost like it feels like it would give you some immediate relief. You know, they've, they've come to me, they needed me. Yay, I've given them the solution that's going to at least temporarily solve their problem. That makes me feel good in the moment. But like you say, you then sort of end up carrying it, taking it away and sort of feeling that you're shouldering the responsibility. Because what if your solution doesn't work out as it was supposed to do? It feels like it's on you. And as we know, oftentimes they don't take the advice. And so then it often leads to resentment I gave you the solution. You didn't take Mm. it. And even resentment that I'm being asked to do this so often, you know, Mm. you you get to the point where you don't want to talk to that person because it's always coming to you. How many times have I got to tell you the same thing? Yeah. 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 The other drawback when we don't have boundaries, when we jump in and, and, you know, give too much to people. In this example with her sister, she also learned that in doing so, she was lessening the pain that would drive her sister forward to make the change she needed to make. Yeah, that makes sense. So to help them find their solution, you can't just give them their solution. You need to let them stay in some of that pain because that drives us forward. And you and I have talked about that. But we prevent that if we just offer them the Band-Aid, if we offer them those quick fixes. As you said, the responsibility piece, she said, you know, it's good to kind of question, why do you feel obligated to shoulder this for this person? And again, it goes back to, for many of us, this um, corrupted boundary data and roles. We've learned that to be a good sister, friend, boss, mother, whatever it is, that you should do whatever you can to fix things for people. doesn't matter at what cost to you. So she calls this looking at your downloaded blueprint. What did you learn about how you need to do things? And she pointed out Lisa Bilyeu is a good example of someone who has had to set a lot of boundaries in that she decided not to have children and comes from a Greek family where everyone expected her to have children. And she really had to set that boundary and let them know, I'm not going to have children. You need to know this is my decision. This is not something negative for me. This is a choice that I'm making. But of course, she had to look at that downloaded blueprint of that's what you do as a woman. You will be a mom. You will be a wife. You will raise many children. And she really had to kind of break out of that blueprint. And she talked about then when you set boundaries with people, you often will get some folks who defy your boundaries and called them repeat offenders, that you may have to keep setting that boundary and keep reminding them of your boundary. That's funny. I'd written a note to to basically ask you about that. Yeah. What if somebody's, it's all very well when you're the one who's kind of making that choice and it's yourself that you've got to look at to stop jumping in and giving the advice. But what if it's, yeah, what if it's them Mm -hmm. that's continuously putting you in that role Mm -hmm. despite you trying to help them find their own solution? Terry shared an example that I thought was interesting from a client example where the client had said to her parents, they lived maybe in the same complex or the same little town or something. And she said, you know, she said, look, I want to ask that when you come over, you ask ahead of time, let me know that you're wanting to come over. 
And what would happen, they had a key. And so they would just come in and use their key. And so she said, if you continue to do this, I'm going to have to change my locks. And they continued to do it. And she, she goes through his examples of how to say the boundary. And she said, look, dad, not only when you stop by, does that scare me if you didn't already let me know, but it's an infringement on my privacy. Dad, you don't know. I could be walking around naked when you walk in using my key. Mm. So I need you to do this or I will have to change my locks. Parents continued to do this. So she changed the locks and they were devastated. And she said, this is what I explained to you. And that was a way (laughs) to interrupt that pattern. And so you do often have to repeat the boundaries. You have to be clear on your boundaries. And I think it's important to repeat offenders that you not just say, oh, that's okay. No worries. Because that lets them know, I don't really mean this boundary. And it's okay to, to break it. She talked a little bit then about women in this example. And that women often learn that femininity is about being self-sacrificing. As I said earlier, they, they get rewarded for it. And so for many women, it's hard to break that blueprint that this does not make me, um, this is not my role as a woman to have no boundaries or to overgive or overdo for people. Yes, gosh. I mean, when you think about Uh, what did you call it, corrupted data, all the different places we learn about Mm -hmm. boundaries. It's not only close relationships Mm -hmm. that we learn from, you know, how our parents interact or friends or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's all the cultural references and things Mm -hmm. we see on TV and magazines and all goes on and on and on, doesn't it, when you think about it? I was just watching a video the other day of a woman, I can't think of her name right now, but She worked at NASA and she was the first woman scientist who was working kind of on the flight pattern stuff and the tech floor. And someone was interviewing her. She was in her 20s wearing short skirt. And he was saying, you know, what's it like for you as a girl working here? And just watching her mannerisms and thinking that's in 1968, I think it was, that's how she was taught. You have to act in these situations. And obviously she's very, she became an attorney for women's rights and things, but I just thought, wow, that is such a great example of going along with how, you know, you were to let people treat you at that time. Mm -hmm. So Lisa brings up the question, like, what if you're struggling with boundaries? Because, you know, we have so many difficulties with this. We think we're being mean or we think we're being cruel. And Terry suggested start small. Start with things like when your order at a restaurant comes to you and it's not right, send it back. Rather than saying, oh, that's okay. I'll eat it. No worries. To just say, oh, actually, I ordered this salad and I, I need that replaced. So starting with those examples that feel less uh, volatile and using those as building, um, building that confidence to have your boundaries. And then another piece that she said of a small step for most of us, which actually is a huge step, is to first start with not always giving the automatic yes, that so many of us violate our own boundaries by quickly saying yes, taking on things Mm, that that we don't want to do. 
She said, in order to create your boundaries, you need to know really what your rules of engagement are. How are you wanting people to engage with you? And in order to do this, you need to know what your preferences are, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers. And then you create your boundaries around these things. And the challenge is that most people don't even know their own, especially women who have been taught your main role is to care about others and be the peacemaker and make sure everyone else is okay. Yeah, I was going to say, it's very difficult not to say yes to something or to say no to something if Mm -hmm. you don't know why you don't want to do it or Mm -hmm. what you'd rather do instead. And as mentioned earlier, overgiving, overfunctioning, overdoing, self-abandoning is the word she uses for those, only leads to bitterness eventually. Mm. So martyrs are not happy people. (laughs) But we often think like, oh, my mom was such a martyr. And she kind of jokes, but no one says, oh my gosh, I can't wait to be a martyr. We learn those patterns and we learn by not recognizing our own needs to not set up our boundaries. Most of us recognize it. It's interesting what you said about that need for control. Most of us have seen that in action and how Mm -hmm. it is quite manipulative and controlling. Actually, there's an undercurrent, isn't there? But probably have a harder time seeing it in our own behavior. Uh, Yeah, definitely. She also said something that really kind of stood out to me is that codependency is a way to keep people attached to you. So it's kind of driven by fear that if I have a boundary, if I set a limit, someone may go away, someone may leave me. And that feels too threatening. And so, again, we'll tolerate quite a bit. We'll tolerate not having boundaries and letting everything, you know, doing all of this overdoing and overgiving. And that was one of Brene Brown's, wasn't it? Attachment was the near enemy mm-hmm. of love. Mm-hmm. Lisa shared that she had a quote from the book that she really liked. Giving is love. Overgiving is dysfunctional. And many of us are taught giving at any cost is showing love. They then talk a little bit about self-love. This is always a complicated topic for me, that idea that, you know, you can't really receive love from other people if you don't love yourself. And one of the things she talked about is that if you are last on your list, you set a very low bar in showing others how to interact with you. So that old saying, you know, we teach people how to treat us is so true. And so if you don't have enough self-love to hold boundaries and advocate for your needs and limits and desires, then you teach people to ignore them as well. I think one of the challenges with boundaries is that we often find that other people don't like our boundaries. They don't like them. We don't just say yes or just do what they want to do. But Reframing this a bit, I think, is important. And she talks about the idea that setting good boundaries is actually good for both you and the other person. Because when you do something that you don't want to do, you think that you're being nice. She talked about the idea that you're not actually being nice. You're often just being dishonest. You're not letting that person actually know you. You're covering up you in hopes of staying connected. So it's really a a degree of dishonesty. And one of the things she described about this, she talked about in her own friendships. When someone says to you, oh, yeah, 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 I'll do that. Okay. And then at the last minute they cancel because they didn't really want to do it. 
that begins to make them unreliable to you. Mm. It would be better for them just to be honest and say, you know, actually, I, I don't want to do that or I'm not available or whatever. And she talked about a friend that she was going to Honduras or somewhere. And she said, hey, do you want to go with me? And the friend said, no, actually, I, I hate the heat and I don't want to go. And she said, I could trust her so much more than some of my other friends because I knew if it was something that she didn't want to do, she would just tell me. I wouldn't get let down later. Mm. And I hadn't really thought about that before, but oftentimes we're really just not being completely honest when we accept things and say yes. Yeah, it kind of feels brutal in the moment, but it's the best thing all around. Absolutely. It's a very difficult thing to do, though. I mean, I, I've got a good example of that. I'm going over to see my mother tomorrow and we're going to uh, look around a garden. But originally she asked me if I wanted to go to Hampton Court Palace Flower Show, which is a flower show up in London. I actually designed and exhibited a garden there many, many years ago. It is quite a nice garden show, but I'm not very good at events like that. If, if I decide to go on my own, it's one thing, but I have learnt... And it doesn't really matter who I go with, whether it be a, a relative or a friend or whatever. I don't like going with somebody else because there are crowds and I'm always anxious because I'm wanting to be looking at the gardens or looking at some products or whatever it is. But you're always having to watch where the other person is because there are crowds and am I going to lose them? And it's just it's just stressful. So my immediate response the sort of knee-jerk response was to sort of say yeah sure but in the back of my mind I was thinking well, how am I going to be able to get out of that later because I don't want to do it so actually instead I said you know what I really don't want to because I will get grumpy I don't like the crowds I'm gonna have to go all the way up to London I will just get grumpy it's happened before. I know it will happen again. So actually, and actually explaining, you're not going to enjoy going with me because I'm going to be grumpy and I know I'm going to be grumpy and that's not going to be a fun time for you and it's not going to be a fun time for me. You know, so what's what's the point? So instead, I looked around for some, you know, gardens that were nearer her that maybe we could go and do that instead. And I found one that actually I can remember seeing lots of pictures of when I was studying garden design and it's a garden that I'd very much like to go to and it's you know it's half an hour away so we're going to go and have some lunch and then look around this garden it's not going to be busy mm -hmm. it's going to be relaxing we're going to enjoy it so you know I not only stood up and said no I don't want to do this but I found something else that would be mm -hmm. enjoyable to do so that was a valuable learning experience for me because that is my automatic response you know especially with my mother to say sure. well yeah you, you feel obliged to do it well like you said you're actually creating a better yeah. scenario for both yes, of you exactly. by having that boundary they talked about the fact that um, there are kind of two ways that we usually err in setting boundaries. Either we're too rigid, basically it's my way or the highway. Mm -hmm. And if you're this way, oftentimes you're more likely to cut people out of your life because people can't do <laughs> your way or the highway all the time. And you have no room for them to wiggle at all. So you often have to disconnect. And then she talked about other people who set their boundaries that are too porous these tend to be chameleons, peacekeepers, or pushovers. The, the boundaries are just too loose, so they aren't really boundaries at all. So you need to be somewhere in the middle. 
by the sounds of That's it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And of course, there are some times where you need to be able to know what your non-negotiables are. And they both talked about uh, Terry is in recovery. And when she was starting to date, people were sending her, you know, oh, date this person, date this person. She said, no, I'm not going to date anyone in recovery. And like, well, that's hypocritical of you. And she said, no, that is a deal breaker for me. Two people in recovery in the relationship, that's too much. Mm. And Lisa talked about when she first was started dating her husband. She said, look, there are two non-negotiables for me. If you cheat or if you physically harm me, you're done. We're out. There's no negotiating. So it is okay to have non-negotiables. And that does not mean you're being too rigid in your boundaries. That comes back to that self-awareness. You've got to know what they are to set your, what your deal breakers are. Mm-hmm. They talked about a couple of ways that you can set boundaries and, and they didn't go into a lot of detail, but she said that in the book, she gives hundreds or thousands of prompts. She said, I give examples of how to set boundaries from leaving a cult to <laughs> declining a dinner invitation. You know, she, she really gives a lot of examples, which I think is helpful. A lot of us just mm. need to have it kind of modeled. How could I say this? And she did kind of what you did and talked about the sharing how the behavior feels to you. Let's say, for example, someone is doing something that is a limit for you to say, when you do this, I feel like this and I don't want to have that interaction with you like that. So this is you know, what I need. And similar to what you did with your mom, I'm going to be crabby. That's going to be unfun for both of us. So let's make a different plan. Lisa came up with the example, what she often will say to people is, I'm struggling with this and this is how you can help me. So bringing them in from that level so they Mm. don't feel like their behavior is being criticized, but I'm struggling when we talk and you interrupt me. So the way you can help me with this is you can wait until I pause before you talk little less room for them to get as defensive in that example. She talks about in her book, she has a proactive boundary success plan. So of course you need to get the book to learn about this. But one of the things she talked about near the end of this that is a little bit disconnected from boundaries, but it's a topic that I love and you've heard me talk about it before. She was talking about when we stay stuck and the idea that really when we stay stuck, it's not that we don't know what to do, we don't like the reality of what we need to do. And so we, we stay in this limbo and that in itself is a decision. We don't want to have to make the difficult decision. So we kind of just let life take its course and therefore that is our decision. But she talked about in these examples to ask yourself about the secondary gains. And this is that concept that I've shared with you before. And people often are confused by what secondary gains are. And they're really that idea that you get something out of not making the decision, even though it might seem negative. And so she encourages them to think about what do I not have to do or face or experience by staying stuck? So even though staying stuck seems negative, it's helping you to avoid facing something, experiencing something or doing something And then the return question is, but what do I lose by staying stuck? So helping people work themselves out of those places of being stuck. And they talk some about also honoring other people's boundaries as also challenging for many of us because we think we have the right answer for them versus just saying, 
like you said, how can I walk beside this person rather than lead them to their decision? So it was a great episode. It was fun to listen to. And I just have to say, Terry Cole has an amazing voice. Like if you just want to be like lullaby in your ears, (laughs) listen to her. And she also has her own podcast that I have not started listening to. It just made me think of an interaction that we've had recently and something that we've talked about before. And it made me think of it when you were saying this, this decision of no decision, you're still kind of making a decision, but you leave it feeling a bit crappy. And I think we've both said to each other at some point, you know, I'm feeling so pissed off because I've just got nothing done today. You know, I had these plans and I didn't do anything. I just laid around on the sofa and binge watched TV all day and I've accomplished nothing. And I was thinking about talking to you about this and saying, gosh, it really depends on the choice you make at the beginning of the day, how you leave that day feeling because if you've sort of decided you're going to do something and don't achieve any of it, then you leave it sort of feeling a bit crappy because you haven't been productive. But actually, if you decided, despite the fact that you needed to do something, actually tomorrow I'm going to lay around doing nothing on the sofa and binge watch TV, even if you hadn't been productive that you kind of need to do but you'd end the day feeling like you'd achieved what you'd set out to achieve Absolutely. so it's yeah sometimes you kind of have to make these decisions that you know maybe you need to do so you end the day feeling a bit better about it mm-hmm. because the end result is the same so you might as well <laughs> as well feel and a little bit good about it unfortunately in that moment it feels like a boundary that I didn't honor in myself I have this stuff to do. I need to get this done. I will feel better if I get this done. And I didn't do it. Yeah. Well, lots to think about there. And that very much sounds like a podcast that I would like to listen to. So I'm going to go and check it out this week. And maybe I'll be bringing an episode to share with you next time. Who knows? (laughs) Until that time, I hope you and everyone at home has a very wonderful week. You too, Daisy. Take good care, everyone.